Hello everyone. This is the 20th episode of Bible Beyond, and today we're going to be learning about hell. Our passage comes from Matthew 25 verses 41 through 46. In this passage, Jesus is talking to his disciples, and what he's doing is describing the coming day of judgment. When God will send some people to heaven and some people to hell, this is how Jesus describes the part where some are sent to hell. He says, Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they will also answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Maybe one of the biggest objections that people have, not only to Christianity, but to religion in general, is the concept of hell. That a God who's supposedly good would be willing to send people to a place of eternal suffering. But today we're not just going to be talking about hell. We're not even going to be talking about religion. What we're going to be talking about is the Christian God of the Bible. We're going to learn about heaven and hell and our own sin in a context that I think will make hell a lot more reasonable than we naturally think of it. All this and more on Bible Beyond. So like I said, one of the worst objections that people have to religion and Christianity is hell. That God would send people there to suffer forever. And there is the kind of ideological, logical issue of, well, if he's good, why would he do something to someone that's bad? But then there's the more personal concern of, wait a minute, if I'm one of these sinners and God sends sinners to hell, oh, well... That leaves me at his judgment to be sent to hell. And naturally, no one wants to believe in a God who would just send them to hell and then justify it saying that he's good. No one wants to believe in that. And this is a very popular perspective. With many popular perspectives, it may not always be right, but it does have basis. And I think the basis for this perspective is that our modern sense of justice does not include biblical forgiveness. It does not. See, today we have courts. We have these modern courts that are just shining brilliant examples of justice. And what happens in a court? Well, first of all, someone has to do something wrong. So maybe it's a thief and they rob someone, armed robbery. And because of that, they go to court, and there's a trial, there's a judge, there's a jury. And everyone gets together at that court, and they say, okay, you committed armed robbery. Let's say 
you'll have five, ten years in prison. And then everyone leaves. The person who committed the crime goes to prison. They serve their sentence. They come out. And then there you go. That's the justice process. Justice has been served. And with this version of justice, the idea is you hurt society, so society will hurt you back. And there we go. We're fair. We're even. There's justice. But this doesn't include biblical forgiveness. And because of that, we don't have a proper conception of hell, of the punishment that people get when they commit a crime. So to understand this biblical justice, I want to define a few things. First of all, heaven, and then hell, and then our own sin. So what is heaven and hell? In our modern popular culture, heaven is typically the place where it's a paradise, and hell is the burning place that's always on fire. And that's true. That's how the Bible describes heaven and hell. But there is a more fundamental difference between the two. It actually accounts for the burning of hell and the glorious paradise of heaven. And that is God. See, heaven is most or best defined by the place where God is. Heaven is just where God is in his completeness where his presence is completely and totally obvious. And hell, on the other hand, is the exact opposite. Hell is just the absence of God's presence. And this naturally leads to with God being the source of all goodness, heaven being wonderful, and hell being terrible. So that's what heaven and hell are. Now, what is our sin? Sin is essentially doing something, anything, against God's will. Doing something that God doesn't like, that goes against him or something he cares about, that goes against what he wants, what he knows is best for the world. That's sin. It's just going against God. Now, we know from the Bible, Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We know that we are all sinners. We've all done something against God. And because of that, I would argue that for us as sinners, heaven would be terrible. I do not think that heaven would be the paradise it should be for those of us who have sinned against God. I think we actually experience a scaled-down version of this in our own lives. Think of a time when you've done something wrong to someone. And you know it, they know it, everyone's aware. When you're in that person's presence, when you're around them, it's never comfortable. Like, it's never a pleasant thing to experience because you're around them and it's obvious everyone knows what's happened, that there's something bad between you two. And because of that, it's awkward. It's not comfortable. Whenever you're confronted with what you've done wrong to that person, we kind of have this reaction that we want to draw back. We want to get out of there. And I think this is kind of a lowered down version of heaven and hell and God. See, God, we as sinners, we've sinned against God. And God is always in heaven. So where does that leave us if we are in heaven for eternity with God? 
that means that it's terrible. That means all the time, no matter what we do, we are completely and totally aware, not just of God, but what God reminds us of, which is what we've done. Now, this may kind of seem like a, a stretch because that kind of momentary awkwardness we experience when we're around others who we've hurt, does that really compare to eternity in heaven or hell? Isn't that kind of minor? Well, yes, it, it, it is. But the thing is, like I said, it's a toned down version because in heaven, it's not just that you've done one bad thing, it's that who you are is bad, is not good enough for God. And in heaven, it's not just that you've sinned against another person who has done the exact same thing, You've sinned against the one person who has not. The one person who doesn't deserve to be sinned against. And not only is it for that moment, but it's for every moment. Every single moment after we die, all of existence will be confronted with that. Now, does heaven sound like such a wonderful place? Again, going back to that toned-down version, when we kind of want to, like, get out of there, we want to leave. We don't want to really let the interaction last. We want to go. We want to escape. And on the cosmic version of this, if we don't want to be in heaven, if we don't want to be around God, where do we go? I think the answer is hell. Because hell is the place where God isn't. Where he is not there. Totally and completely not there. See, for the person who has sinned, hell is their refuge from heaven. Now, I know this is kind of a drastic way of thinking about it, but recently I read a book that I think spelled it out perfectly. It's a part of C.S. Lewis's Space Trilogy. C.S. Lewis is a great Christian author uh, who lived in the 1900s, and he wrote this trilogy in the 1950s. And basically, there's this main character named Ransom, and he goes on these, like, space adventures. The, the first one is kind of like an early version of our modern-day sci-fi. He, like, goes to Mars and meets some aliens, and he has to get back home. And it's a good book. It's really good. But the second one is almost like a continuation of C.S. Lewis's theology. It's absolutely brilliantly written. And what happens in the second book is it's the same character. It's Ransom. But this time, instead of going to Mars, he goes to Venus, where he basically finds a perfect version of Earth. A perfect paradise. Except it's not quite like Earth. There are only two people on this planet, and he can only find one of them. He can only find one of them. When he finds this person, what he basically finds is a perfect person. It's a woman. And to him, he's basically like, or she's basically like this alien goddess. She's perfect. The entire world is perfect. It's this perfect paradise that he's in. Which sounds wonderful, but then he starts talking to the woman. And he, noticed some, he notices something strange. Because whenever he's talking to her, he can't quite look at her the entire duration of their conversation. He's uncomfortable. In fact, at certain times, he can't even stand up all the way. He just has to sit down. 
or he has to end the conversation. He has to come back later to talk to her and learn more about this planet. And then there's one page where he says something fascinating. I'm going to read it now. He says, after one of his interactions with the woman, As soon as the lady was out of sight, Ransom's first impulse was to run his hands through his hair, to expel the breath in his pockets, and in general, to go through all that ritual of relaxation, which a man performs on finding himself alone after a rather trying interview. But he had no cigarettes and no pockets, nor indeed did he feel himself alone. He then goes on to say, At first it was almost intolerable. As he put it to us, there seemed to be no room. But later on, he discovered that it was only intolerable at certain moments. At just those moments, in fact, symbolized by his impulse to smoke and put his hands in his pockets, when a man asserts his independence and feels that now at last he's on his own. When you felt like that, then the very air seemed too crowded to breathe. A complete fullness seemed to be excluding you from a place which, nevertheless, you were unable to leave. But when he gave into the thing, gave himself up to it, there was no burden to be borne. It became not a load but a medium, a sort of splendor as of eatable, drinkable, breathable gold, which fed and carried you and not only poured into you, but out from you as well. But taken the wrong way, it suffocated. But taken the right way, it made terrestrial life seem, by comparison, a vacuum. At first, of course, the wrong moments occurred pretty often. But like a man who has a wound that hurts him, in certain positions, and who gradually learns to avoid those positions, Ransom learned not to make that inner gesture, and his day became better and better as the hours passed. Basically, what Ransom is recounting here is how he feels immediately after meeting the woman, and he's uncomfortable. He's uncomfortable to the point where he can barely take it anymore. But then, all of a sudden, it starts to become better. He starts to learn how to deal with the perfection that he's surrounded with. As it says, he figures out, all of a sudden, that it's not a burden to be born, but something that he can live through and experience. Now, something, to import, something that's important to understand about Ransom is that, in the story, Ransom is... A Christian. And this means that Ransom believes in Christ. He believes in Christ's death, his perfect life, his resurrection. He believes as a Christian that he is perfect before God because of what Jesus did. And I believe that this is what allows Ransom to go from being extraordinarily uncomfortable to actually enjoying, properly enjoying, the paradise that he's in. Maybe that's why he was able to survive being on the planet. And this is important for us, because just as Ransom was in this paradise, we are faced with the option of when we die to go to a paradise where it's perfect, where we are met with the embodiment of perfection. But the thing is, we need a way to endure it. Ransom's was by knowing Jesus. He knew who Jesus was, 
And because of that, he was able to endure the paradise. But a lot of us do not know Jesus in the way that he did. A lot of us may try to find our own way to endure the paradise when we get there. But see, I would argue that there is no substitute for Jesus. There's nothing else that wholly and completely covers us, that forgives us in the same way that Jesus does. Because Jesus came and he lived perfectly, absolutely without sin. He never did anything against God. And yet that terror that Ransom was experiencing on the paradise, on the perfect planet, that's what Jesus went through so that Ransom could remember that and be healed. Because he recognized who he was before God, that this paradise he was able to live in, that it was right for him to live in, to be there, because because of Christ, he was perfect. I mentioned earlier that in our world we have justice, right? And that's, that's what our courts are for. Everyone goes, they get together, they establish justice. But here's the thing. For the criminal, they've understood, they've experienced justice, but they have not experienced forgiveness. Not necessarily. They can get out of prison and everyone be just as mad at them as they were before. The judge can look down on the criminal just as much as he did before the trial. The jury can look at the criminal with just as much distaste as they did before the trial. Everyone who is involved in the justice process in condemning him to justice, they can do that, but they can't forgive him. And this means that for the criminal, they've experienced justice, but they haven't been changed as a person. And maybe this is why when criminals get out of jail, they oftentimes go back to the same cries, end up back in jail, and it's this process. Maybe that's why. It's because they don't experience forgiveness. They're not made perfect before God. Because our justice system, nothing in our world, can deliver that forgiveness. And that's what Jesus is for. See, it all comes down to this. If you want justice, we have that. We have that today in our world with our courts. We have it in bounds and however much justice we want. We can have all of that justice. And not only that, but when we die, God will come and he will deliver Justice to perfection. Everything will be justified. Absolutely everything. So if you want justice, that's fine. Don't worry about Jesus. But if you want forgiveness, if you want to be changed in the way that you can actually enjoy heaven, that you can be with God and not feel terrified, that's what Jesus is for. Jesus brings justice, but in his wake is forgiveness. And that's why we have Jesus. So with that, let's pray. Dear God, thank you for sending Jesus, first and foremost. Thank you that he came, he lived a perfect life, that he died, that through that process we're made whole. And that because of that, when we do have the opportunity to enter into paradise with you, that we can actually accept it as it is. We thank you that you've made that possible. 
Even though while you were still sinners, you loved us, while we were still sinners, you loved us enough to die for us. That's something that we want to try to understand and accept. In Jesus' name, amen. This has been the 20th episode of Bible Beyond. Thank you to my grandfather for creating the great music you're listening to right now. And thank you for listening. If you want to hear more, just check back with us when we have a new episode up and ready. And until then, have a great day.